This is After School on Core 77. I'm Don Lehman. Today on After School, our very first episode, I talk with the three co-founders of Rich Brilliant Willing, a lighting and furniture design manufacturer based here in Brooklyn. We talk about how they met, what led them to found their company, and how they're growing as both designers and business owners. Stay tuned. So with me on the line are the three co-founders and partners of Rich Brilliant Willing. How's it going, guys? Great. Excellent. Good to be here. Uh, well, normally I would, I would introduce, uh, introduce you guys, but since we're lucky enough to have all three of you, uh, I thought it would be good for everyone to uh, be able to distinguish your voices. So if you could, um, if you would each introduce yourselves and say what your role is at RBW. This is Theo Richardson. This is Alexander Williams, co-founder of Rich Brilliant Willing and sales and marketing director. And I'm Charles. I work on vendor management and production. Theo has no role here, apparently. (laughs) Theo Richardson, I'm doing uh, financial forecasting and long-term strategy. Cool. And I'll, Alex, again, I'll just add that we all, uh, the three of us are, uh, well, more or less co, co-creative directors of the brand, too. We, we collaborate and share in all of the, the design and development and creative aspects of the brand. Awesome. Did you guys ever feel any pressure to introduce yourselves um, in the order of, of, your, of your company's name? Because your name comes from your last names, correct? You don't, you don't feel like the... Typically, we do do it that way. Yeah, yeah. So... You could edit it, rearrange it if you want. <laughs> no, that's cool. But yeah, so your, uh, your last names form the name for your company. How did, you, uh, how did you come up with that? Uh, we hired somebody to come up with that. <laughs> really? We, no, we... Um, <laughs> well, we, when we, we first uh, were all living together in in New York within a, f- a few months of graduating from college where we met. Um, we got into our heads that we were going to do something together. We enjoyed working together a lot and we were close friends. So we, we would meet um, actually around Charlie's dining room table many evenings after work, after we finished our day jobs and just bring images or ideas to the table that we wanted to talk about and, and kind of work out a, a plan for how we to collaborate. And so the, the, the name uh, actually arose out of one of those um, early um, brainstorming sessions together. And the URL, as Charlie likes to joke, the URL was uh, available, the domain was available, so we, so we purchased it and uh, got our website up and running basically before we really had any anything else. Yeah, that seems to be the key trigger if you can name your company that nowadays, is if you got the domain name in hand. 
Well, awesome. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, I've been a big fan of your work for some time now. Uh, and I definitely want to talk about uh, the work you guys do. But first, I want to kind of set the foundation and talk about uh, your background and how you got to this point. So uh, where did you guys grow up? Uh, this is Theo, and I grew up in Toronto. Um, and then I moved to Providence to study at RISD. Okay. Oh, this is Alex. I grew up on the coast of Maine, a uh, small town, and um, also moved to Providence to attend college where I met Theo and Charles. And this is Charles. I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, mm. and made my way to RISD as well. So how did you, did you guys always know you wanted to be designers? Because I'm always kind of curious about how people, because you, you kind of have to back into this accidentally sometimes it feels like because there's just there's no obvious uh, career path no high school guidance counselor tells you about design hmm. really but so how did, how did you guys get to the point where you knew you wanted to go to RISD when they accepted me <laughs> uh, for me I was looking at a bunch of design magazines in high school and had uh, two friends parents who were sort of like involved in more in like fashion, but uh, that was sort of like an intro. Their peers and their and their sort of like parents and stuff. Uh, I'm still not sure I want to be a designer, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As as the rest of us are. Uh, so, at some point, you decided on RISD, or you they accepted you. Um, what? Why, why did you choose RISD? Because I. I feel like, um, you know, they have just a very unique kind of uh, brand about them. And I didn't go to RISD. I went to RIT. So, you know, I'm kind of, I'm familiar with it, but th kind of talk about what it's like to go to school at RISD. Well, this is Alex speaking. One, um, one thing that struck me was the, and definitely one of their uh, strengths is just the, the culture that exists there um, and the kind of, uh, well, it's, it's romanticized, I think, but it, it, it is quite romantic. It's just the kind of creative community of, of young and interesting people that exist there and uh, Providence is a very interesting and beautiful place to live, I think. But uh, I had known about RISD since I was younger and uh, my mom was an art teacher and talked about RISD sometimes. And when I visited there for the first time, I, I, that, that culture that, I, that exists there really struck me. And I felt like I really wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, it's, it, it seems like their, their vibe is kind, of, is kind of that they were you know, compared to other design schools, they, they've always had sort of like a maker type vibe, you know, like they, they've got a really beautiful wood shop and, and there's always seems to be an emphasis of, uh, you know, getting in there and actually making stuff with your hands. And I'm, I'm wondering how much that influence uh, you guys and, and what you do with RBW. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, and one of the things that I think was specific to the program we were in while we were there 
is that it was really focused on authorship or point of view. And uh, we, as a result, have a really, I, I feel, a really coherent and cohesive body of work that you look at some of the pieces and they appear relatively, well, they appear related. And, um, and, and that was like a cornerstone of some of the, the training. And, and of course, yeah, it was very hands-on and, and maker-oriented, but it was, um, it was also with this idea towards um, authorship. Yeah. So did maybe I should ask this because I guess I never really asked is, did you guys go to school for industrial design or did you go for something else? We went for furniture design. For furniture design, okay. Or maybe the question is, what did you go for and then what did you initially do? Because I, I <laughs> yeah. didn't really know exactly what I was going to do when I got there. Basically. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then how soon into school did the three of you meet? The second year, yeah. I, I met you, Charlie, I think first year. And Alex, I met you like three days in or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any good uh, stories on how you met, or is it just sort of had classes with each other sort of thing? Yeah, we had classes, a number of the design classes together, and then, um, but there, the work was never really group-oriented. In fact, it wasn't at all. It was highly individual at that point. No. So, so how, did, how did you get to the point? That, I mean, that's really interesting if it's really individual, because then now all three of you are working together. How long... Uh, after you met, did you decide that you wanted to work together on stuff? That was a later development, more like a New York occurrence because we had, well, we had identified some opportunities to work together on, like they were coming to us individually through things we were doing when we first moved here. And then um, we had shared the studio space that was more like, each person doing their own thing down there, mm -hmm. and then and then RBW has slowly evolved to its current state now. But um, pretty early on, we were we were began co-designing and collaborating. Yeah, and so did you all three of you come to New York with that goal in mind, or that you were gonna at least hang out, or did you kind of? I mean, what what was your goals after school? <laughs> we had jobs at the time, yeah. but well, it was also against the backdrop of the financial collapse in 2008. So right. uh, by 2009, a lot of the opportunities dried up and um, doing our own thing became an active way of, of making something when there was pretty much nothing else out there. Right. Right. I mean, I was working in an architecture firm, and they scaled down by half the employees. So, yeah. Do you find that with a lot of the um, the firms here in in, in Brooklyn, or, or the guys that kind of started around the same time you did? Is it is it just a big uh, screw it? We're going to do our own thing if the jobs aren't there. Sort of vibe. question. I don't know. Uh, it wasn't really necessarily intentional. There just wasn't a lot of other options. 
Right. And I guess even looking more into the way our business model is and how we started, uh, it had a similar kind of train of thought where we wanted to find manufacturers in the United States to manufacture our designs. We, again, hit a roadblock. So um, from that standpoint, we set out to design products, and now four or five years later, we're designing them and manufacturing them as well. Yeah. I remember there there being sort of a sense of uh, not just like, oh, well, let's, we're, we're going to do our own thing to make ends meet now. It's probably actually looking back on it, the sort of counterintuitive to try and make ends meet doing what we were doing. But it, I do remember a sense that it kind of freed us, it freed us up to explore um, what had only just been uh, sort of a potential at that point to really just dive in and spend more time. Uh, working together, and we had enough clients, well, a couple of clients, but a big enough um, kind of set of projects that we could really just jump in and, and give it a go. So it was as much serendipity as anything else. Yeah, yeah. So was that, you know, was that part of the plan just, you know, to be a company, or do you guys just find projects and then kind of build the company around it, or kind of... Talk a little bit about you know sitting around that uh, you know your dining room table and really kind of working through some of the stuff and um, well the brand took a while to figure out what it wanted to be it's still evolving I think but you know we we tried we've we've tried a lot of different things over the last few years and and our interests have evolved and shifted too and. Um, you know, with a background in making and building and material knowledge, we were able to execute on some early ideas. Um, and with that came the realization that we could produce our own ideas on a larger scale. And so as other types of opportunities came and went, and, you know, we tried them out and had various types of successes and frustrations, what, what stuck was the idea that we could design product, um, produce it at some sort of volume, and send it out into the world. And that, that was sort of the most sustainable and most scalable of all the different types of um, things that we've tried. So um, I also think the industry has been changing quite a bit. The one that we're in, furniture and lighting and um, the, there's not as much need to go through the traditional route of licensing and manu finding manufacturers to execute your idea. Um, mm -hmm. Talk about the internet sounds really boring and old, but it does seem that it it just was a lot took a lot longer for people to trust to build up in this sort of realm. Um, but connecting with with um, Fabricators and connecting with customers is much easier now than it than it was um, ten years ago. So, in some way, we also feel that as we evolve, we're kind of finding our own path, and there isn't really much of a playbook or anyone else to look at for how it is done. Yeah, totally. So, had. Had you started with the idea of maybe you might license, but then just quickly kind of found that it was just something that was actually easier for you to get your stuff 
produced this way. Yeah, that's that's right. We had tried licensing, and we still have existing licenses that continue to, to sell. Um, but uh, it, we were somewhat discouraged from that for a number of reasons. The timelines that it took to produce work, the amount of control we had over things, the quality level. The, but um, yeah, speed was definitely something that we, we were quite anxious and hungry, I guess, to, right. to make new things. And that's not always reciprocated when you're working with bigger, <laughs> older companies. So. Right, yeah. Why, why hang around waiting for other people when you can be doing it yourself and making more of the money anyway? Yeah. Yeah. As in, yeah, maybe this pertains so much to what you're doing too, John. Yeah, Uh yeah, a little bit. I mean, I guess it's somewhat similar that, you know, you know, the 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 job was fading away, but then the the self-work was kind of picking up. So it was just sort of the I guess I'm just going to be doing this now with no big grand plan sort of thing. Um talk about your first project together and kind of how you kind of found your roles and and what what was the first project that you worked on together? The very first project we worked on together was actually a interior. Uh, I was working at a small fine art gallery in Chelsea at the time, and I had shared some of our work with the, the art dealer that I was working for, and he was uh, sufficiently inspired by it to ask if we would be interested in designing, redesigning the, the um sort of back of house area of the, of the gallery space of so his offices and artwork storage area. So we, mm. yeah, fortunately the, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not sure which, the project was never realized, but it was the, the first um, uh, kind of problem for us to solve together and, uh, and to rally around. So that, that was actually a lot of fun. We came across the drawings for it the other day. Um, yeah, and then the first the product that we worked on together was uh, kind of a funny collapsible bench or perch um, called the XL perch, and it was uh, basically a three foot section of six inch diameter PVC drain pipe sanded to kind of a porcelain finish with all these angled holes drilled in it um, and different pipes and, and legs of different diameter and material and color that that um, intersected it. And uh, the idea was that it was a, a piece of furniture that we could produce easily in the basement studio that we were renting that used um, readily accessible uh, material, stock materials basically that we more or less purchased at a hardware store down the street that we made special by uh, just finishing them beautifully. You know, we had a, a piece of aluminum tubing uh, anodized purple, and we had a piece of steel pipe powder-coated, and we bought an oak dowel, which we put a beautiful finish on. So um, that really, to look at it now, it, it really did spark what became our um, distinctive visual language of mixed materials and and use of bright color and ready-made 
component. Yeah, yeah. So that's maybe that's a good uh, kind of branch to go down there. Is kind of how would you describe uh, your guys's work? You know, what 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 sort of quality do you does it have? Or maybe maybe more. What I want to know is kind of what feeling do you want someone to have when they see your work? I think one of the ways we describe it is both uh, minimal and expressive. That it's it's quite visually simple. It's simple in its design and construction. It's easy to understand. It's easy for us to manufacture. But that it also, in, in being simple or minimal, it's not dull. It's not dead or, or lifeless the way some attempts at simplicity are. And instead, that it's expressive and carries something through either mixed materials or uh, color palette or formal juxtaposition of elements. Um, I think simple and expressive and thinking about the warmth of material is really what we're after. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I said that sounds pretty good. I mean, that's definitely the vibe I get whenever I, I see the work. There's also, I think, a, a good deal of wit, I think, you know, when you just kind of see the way that the material is used, it's used in a, in a really kind of smart, efficient way. And maybe it's, you know, you know, using something you wouldn't normally see combined with another material you wouldn't normally see, you know, working together. So it's, it's usually, you know, it's really smart. Um, let's talk about a little bit, um, how you figured out your roles. Um, because I can imagine it's hard for three designers who are also co-founders to design something sometimes. So how do you guys work together? How does, you know, when you get a project or when someone, you know, how, how does a project start for you guys? Uh, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, usually it starts with a, a brief of some kind. So those that we give ourselves a self-directed brief, um, those in the early days, they were very open-ended um, and kind of spontaneous. You know, it had a lot to do with just things that we were particularly personally interested in at the time. Um, just threw stuff at the wall and to see what stuck. Now it's largely directed by what we perceive as needs. Um, Is that needs for the line, or needs that um, you've hear you've heard from buyers that they're interested in, or both of, both of those? It's a combination. Those both of those uh, things that you just mentioned, as well as you know, just, well, there's definitely an element of something that we just really want to work on that we haven't. Um, you know, a dining a dining chair, for instance, or you know, something that we just really want to have that we haven't had an opportunity to work on. It, so it also comes from some sense of what our customer base is, who our clients are, and and what they're looking for, and sort of how that would fit into the market of existing offerings. And we were able to sort of tighten down those parameters to specific uses and, and like prices and materials and finishes and that 
that type of thing. And we're trying to identify thoughts that there is not an existing solution like it. So we'll do um, the Gala chandelier, for example, which is the linear modular yeah, product. This is the one you just introduced to, was it ICFF? Right. Yeah. And and that we're thinking about um, conference rooms, dining areas. That, we were trying to also put the difference between like commercial spaces and hospitality spaces. So we we have a lot of inputs or a lot of filters, and then from that, we're that becomes like the brief or the basis of an idea. And we'll start by sketching, and then from there we take it through prototyping and and um, this the latter half is pretty quick. It's the upfront part that seems to be more maybe more challenging for us. Mm. Why why is that you think? Well, because I think that's where we have like uh, different really different ideas about where to go and what we could do and what we're interested in. So, mm-hmm. but we always find a way to work in the, the nexus between the our three interests, and I think that's what keeps the, the line cohesive and coherent. Yeah, yeah. What what are I'm I'm so I'm a little interested in kind of the the different interests that you have and kind of how that you bring them to the table. What kind of makes each of you unique, and how do you bring it back to to the group? Our website used to have a good little statement about that. <laughs> You guys remember what it was? It was something to the effect of one on material and construction, one on like form and color, and another one on spontaneity. Without any, without much to reveal to who they are, and, um, but it's changed over time too. It's hard to identify. I mean, we we each have very distinct points of view our own but um but they really i mean when you don't produce your own work and it's all blended together it's very even to identify uh your own voice in the three mm-hmm. um so you know obviously beyond design work you guys are are running a business how did you figure out what portion of the business that each of you should be responsible for? Because it sounds like your roles are, you're all designers, but you're also kind of, you know, making sure the business runs. How did you kind of figure that out? And how did you know you'd be good at it? It was some some trial and error with moving around the pieces. Um, And I think there are personality traits to to the different types of roles about... uh, Alex is just—he's very outgoing and sociable, and it's easy for you to connect with our audience. And, and Charles, I think, has a really good sense of getting things done and and accomplishment and time frame. So that lends itself to the production aspect. And sometimes uh, I feel more patient working through the maybe the longer term questions or the things that are 
I'm sometimes also doing more stuff that's technical in nature and that requires a level of like assistance that I'm, I'm happy to cope with those problems. Yeah, it's it's been a matter of everyone just sort of uh, as we you know we'll often compare our company to a ship or an airplane or something like that, and as uh, as we've kind of worked together to figure out how we're going to make it sail or how we're going to make it take off, and we kind of add little bits and bobs or screw something on here or plug up a hole here and there, we've, we've kind of learned as we've gone along what, what's needed to make it work through a lot of trial and error and failures. Um, and we've each just sort of developed specific interests in those um, in, in certain tasks that are needed. The, when we came to the realization that we actually needed to have somebody on the phone and out in the world selling stuff, um, nobody really jumps at the... <laughs> <laughs> probably me least of all. But then when I actually got into the world of... Um, of uh, of presenting and selling and, and the and the kind of uh, the the language of it all, um, and and then started seeing the result of those efforts. You know, all of a sudden it became a very as interesting and appealing and largely creative um, outlet for for me. Yeah, are you surprised by that? That I mean, did I don't know if you. Uh, envision yourself ever doing that stuff, but now that you're doing it, are you are you kind of surprised that you're liking yeah. it or good at it? Or, well, my dad was a salesman, and my and his dad was a salesman too. So of course, I never pictured myself. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. You re you rebelled by going to design school and ended up becoming a salesman selling design. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so what? I'm kind of curious about what's um. What's sort of the thing inspiring your work right now? You know, is it materials? Is it other designers, other media? Is it music, food? You know, what's kind of what gets you guys going, or what do you what do you kind of bring into the work? Kind of a funny time to talk about this because we have over the past two years we've kind of been focusing more of our creative energy and the fall and winter to prepare things mm. on more of like what seems to be a spring launch with a couple trade shows but um, we're trying to break out of that and and so but it's just a, we haven't in the last month or so had much of a conversation about what the next ideas will be so um, yeah so it's very I seasonal guess, yeah, it, it, we've taken a seasonal approach to it to like sort of um, to focus on the things that we need to get done business-wise, and then to really like let all the creative energy out at a you know focused short period of time. Right. And how long did you think it took you to kind of figure that out? Because I'm finding that out now with with my business, just sort of the uh, you know the seasonality of everything and knowing kind of when to kind of focus your efforts on one thing or another. How long, you know, how many years or months were you at it before you kind of got into that groove? Mm. 
Yeah. Or, you, or it just happened, and you don't know when it happened. Well, it's always been, it, it's largely been based on trade shows for us, which we've been doing. You know, 2011 was the first year that we took a booth at the ICFF and really launched an own branded collection. But we were doing trade shows before that with, uh, you know, at the New York Gift Fair with the American Design Club. And, um, you know, those fall generally, at least the ones that we did fall in the spring. So that was always really the, the kind of big push for new products for us. Um, you know, I, I think, and, and also due to the fact that uh, initially our audience was largely uh, audience of people buying products directly from our studio, you know, was sort of based in the world of New York City uh, decorators, interior designers, and that, you know, that's pretty seasonal as well. So um, as people leave the city for the summer and so forth. So uh, you know, as we've gotten busier and busier, the schedule is kind of flattened out now. And we're also talking about, a, um, you know, releasing products throughout the year rather than just clumping it all together. Is there a reason for that? Or? Well, one reason is that you're competing with so many other new product introductions at that time of year. There's in the spring, have, yeah, limited attention spans. Um, but also that we're set up to work through ideas more rapidly now than we used to be, and uh, and to introduce them. And there's no reason why we can't um, do that on a more regular basis now. Yeah. How have you approached creating your line? Was there a project that you think really kind of at first kind of crystallized everything for you and then you built off of that one product or, you know, you know has is there do you have like a five year plan or even like a, a one year, two year plan for kind of what you want to add to your line? Um. We do. There are some different ideas. I mean, again, 2011 was the first year that we really put forth a, a collection, and um, most of those pieces, let's see, that was, they were the first pieces from our Delta Fabric Lamp Series. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's, the, that's the lamp series that uh, it, it kind of it looks a little bit like a floating lampshade. Right, right. Yeah. Um, uh, the channel LED task series, the court lamp. Um, what else do we have? Anyway, the, the, most of those pieces stuck and actually are now kind of our, the best-selling kind of core parts of our collection. And um, we've learned we learned enough from those introductions to have a pretty good sense of what what to introduce, what to build upon um, year after year, year now. But, you know, one of the most rewarding aspects has been to now, with a couple of years of this under our belts, to have been able to test a few hy hypotheses and, um, and have, you know, successful experiments so that we, you know, we have the confidence to um, 
to keep introducing new products. You know, so an example of that would be the monocle light, which we introduced this year at the ICFF. It's a small, it's an aluminum LED um, kind of wall-mounted meeting or task lamp, and uh, that came about as a result of a number of discussions we'd had with architects and interior designers and um, uh, our own interest in developing something for, well, specifically for the hospitality market, a great you know, sort of U.S.-made LED um, wall-mounted reading lamp for bedside use, but also something that would be interesting for people to, to, to buy for themselves. So sort of a... Uh, an easy to produce product, a potential hole in the market, a number of different things which made developing something like that attractive and yeah. um, and it's already just in a few months proved to be a pretty successful product. So Yeah, how do you do research for something like that? Because it sounds like you're talking to uh, interior designers and, and people who would be interested in that sort of thing. How do you kind of merge that where, you know, I'm sure, like, you guys aren't hiring some research firm to go out and get this stuff for you. You're, you're kind of hearing people kind of murmuring about, you know, I need this sort of light that sort of does this, and I'm sure they're not very specific about what exactly they're looking for. And then you guys probably have an idea. How does that kind of, like, talk about that a little bit? Well, I would say there's probably something that, Alex, you could speak more to, because it's it's about a lot of close relationships with um, architects and interior designers and hearing about what they are looking for for their clients. So it's, it's kind of like, um, like it's people who are already chosen to, who are already selected to buy something for the end user, but the, um, the curators sort of are are the ones that, that we're speaking to and they're identifying the needs of their clients, presenting them to us um, conversationally or we'll also call people up and say, hey, we've got this idea, what do you think about it? Or we'll show them an idea and say, mm. hey, what do you think of this model and do you have a need for something like this? And, yeah, so you've got good enough relationships with some of your previous clients that you will show them work ahead of time and just get feedback. Yeah, pretty select. Uh, audience for that, but we'll we'll try and get a read on on things and where we're going. Yeah, it's usually it's kind of the feedback is not um, it's never direct. Do this and make it that, and do that. it's sort of it's just sort of notional. Like, oh yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, it's really, it's hard to say that. Um, it's hard to exactly look back on it and understand how we use that feedback even, but, uh, yeah, that was going to be my question was like, how do you, so how do you use that? Cause it's, it's pretty, you know, sometimes that's, you know, it, it's, it's definitely a gut feeling, but it's nothing that can maybe sway you, you know, very tangentially in one direction or the other. How do you kind of take that and, and work that feedback into what you're working on? A lot of it's intuition, I feel like, is kind of the key word. Um, yeah. What's the diagram, the Venn diagram that we kind of had? Oh, well, we have, yeah, we found this, this diagram online, which is um, what 
it, it sort of like helps us direct our business. Um, mm. What you, what we do well, what we want to do, and what we can get paid to do. And in the <laughs> the intersecting area between the three is the sweet spot. And there are tips for uh, the intersections between any two, like learn how to do this better, or learn how to monetize this, or uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, you guys have a lot of uh, you have a lot of time put in at trade shows. How do you get ready for a trade show? I mean, you've got obviously you have a product, a couple new products that you want to feature. Um, how do you you know what's what's your process for getting ready for a trade show? Well, amazing. The process begins like. <laughs> I don't know, eight or nine months before the trade show takes place and somehow it still feels like we're rushing in the, in the final weeks to get everything pulled together. But So you're already, you're already thinking about ICFF 2014 right now? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And the more we do, the more, the more we, well, I'd say the better we get at them, but I'm not sure that's true. Uh, but it, it usually, it has to do with the audience that we're trying to address and then, you know, kind of figuring out the story that we want to tell them. So, you know, the ICFF is, a, is a, the biggest show for us. That's really you know, our core audience of um, North American architects and interior designers. That's that's where we interact with them and, and tell them about our, our new products. So it's as much about strategic, it's as much about storytelling as it is about strategic product introduction. So, you know, we, by going to a lot of other trade shows, you know, going to Milan, um, for instance, you know, that is really informative in terms of looking at how larger brands communicate with their audiences. So. Yeah. Yeah, and do you think that there is a a difference between the way a buyer at you know uh, Milan will will react to your work as opposed to someone at ICFF or I don't know if you guys do London or anything like that or because well, I feel like your work definitely feels American and I, and I don't know why that is and maybe it's just the the way you use materials but there's something about it that definitely feels of this country but def but not unapproachable to anywhere else in the world. So I'm, I'm kind of curious how you kind of would approach the differences there. Well, other than the voltage. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. There's one difference. Um, <laughs> there's, well, there's certainly the aspect of um, just, you know, who can sort of Erect the largest booth, biggest banner, how to make a splash in a sea of other huge brands and presentations and techno music and that sort of thing. We're not trying to deal with that. Um, yeah. And then in terms of positioning your brand as part of a specific kind of lifestyle, or you know, we're, our our presentations tend to be not so thematic, um, but more kind of. Well, we want them obviously to embrace our the characteristics of our brand, which are sort of simplicity and and honesty, but also fun and wit, as you mentioned. So, 
you know, for instance, this year we had a much larger presentation than we've had in the past, but it was also much simpler in a lot of ways too. And I think, you know, we just we we chose a color. Actually, I think it was just really just based on a kind of peachy color. Yeah. We selected that was really the kind of main story, and then we 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 had a kind of manifesto story of our brand on um, a large wall in our booth, which we we uh, rendered in in charcoal by hand, a huge body of text, which was just sort of a simple way of um, communicating not only the story of our company, but the kind of hand, the honesty and hand work, you know, thought that goes into everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, it's it was kind of remarkable because I... I you know, I I met Theo for the first time at ICFF, and I think that was one of the first things I said. I was like, you, "There's there's definitely a different mood about your guys' uh, work this year." And it might have just been that all it was was that peach color and that hand uh, rendered, you know, chalk, you know, charcoal uh, lettering. But it, it's it's definitely stood out in a way that was different, but it was so simple from from everyone else too. That's yeah, great to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's what's been the hardest thing you've had to overcome in the process of creating RBW? Like, what's been the biggest boulder you've had to push up a hill? Oh, so many challenges. Uh, I think you know, for me at least personally, patience has really been uh, one of them. Um, and. You know, I, I think, well, initially there was, we got, people really picked up on our story. When we first started working together, there was a lot of press attention and um, for better or for worse. And we were presented with some kind of early opportunities, which may not have been the right opportunities. You know, there was this sense, I think, initially that we could, we could just go on to great things with relative ease and accomplish a lot. And the, the reality of it was that it, it took a really long time and a lot of trying different things and making no money to figure out what we wanted to be and and how we were to actually build a business. So, yeah. um, so, so patience, yeah, for me, biggest thing. I think maybe my biggest thing would just be sort of like had to go back to the drawing board and do a lot more uh, additional learning and, and figuring things out. Um, but that's probably also the most rewarding, too. That's why it stands out to me. What haven't you guys designed yet that you're dying to get into? Uh... Sorry, what, what haven't we designed yet that we're dying to? Was that the question? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm wondering if there's something in your in in your line right now that you just feel like there's a there's a hole, or maybe it's that there's a um, there's just something you've been wishing you could you could work on. Well, you know, I <laughs> a a great chair has really been elusive mm. and a thing for us. 
Why, why has it been elusive? It's a really hard thing. Um, yeah. You know, obviously there are a lot of them out there. And uh, I mean, even the price alone is something that makes one chair successful and another one unsuccessful. And, yeah. and that's a huge uh, challenge when you're competing with people who already have established volumes of production. So. Right. You know, I also just want to keep things moving here, but I wanted to return to your previous question, too, in talking about the boulders. But um, just in terms of our, you know, our personal relationships, our, our friendship and our creative partnership, um, maintaining that I also has been one of the biggest challenges. I think we kind of take it for granted, but there, are, you know, there really are with any type of relationship daily daily struggles in 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 larger term goals and it's something that we've you know really had to be honest with each other and constructive and um, put a lot of thought and effort into into keeping that alive because that's I mean, that's obviously the core of of what we have going here so yeah requires a lot of maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it it is so reassuring to hear other people kind of have the same uh, struggles, you know, because you just think, you know, I don't know about you guys, but if you're just kind of working away and keeping your head down for a while, you just kind of think you're the, uh, that this is unique to you. But it's a, there's something comforting that this stuff isn't unique to you, that everyone kind of goes through this stuff, and it's all kind of that... Um, that great struggle, especially in the first couple of years of just trying to figure figure this stuff out. There's a, there's also a lot of people have joked in the past when we talked about maintaining our relationship between the three of us. They've said, "Oh, you guys must drink a lot." <laughs> I always feel like the keeping the the attitude light and sort of positive vibes and. Uh, I don't know, taking time away from uh, our work has been important. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you guys, are you guys able to maintain kind of the same friendship that you had going into this? You know, I mean, do you have to like, uh, just go, okay, screw it. We're not going to be talking about work for the next two days and we're going to, you know, I don't know, go out on a boat or something. Yeah. We, I mean, it, it's better than it ever. It's much stronger and deeper than it than it ever was and uh well we just got back from an awesome weekend in uh toronto two weekends ago charles congratulations charles got married two weekends ago. That's, uh, that's great congratulations we go uh, yeah we go on a lot of little we, we try and uh once a quarter we try and go on a on a partner uh outing or retreat you know recently we rented a, a cabin and went away for a weekend and you know, we talk about ideas and growing the business, but just, just hang out too. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So last question. Um, I'm kind of curious, how do you think um, the company is evolving? How your, how your um, partnerships evolving and kind of what's driving you now that wasn't on your radar five years ago? We're becoming a, a team, 
So it's um it's now more about us, our the input from the people that we work with, our our great team members and and how we can all and, and leadership too, how we can all sort of grow ourselves and and um yeah, that's something that before when it was just three of us it was it was less I don't want to say responsible, but it was kind of like a little more. Now there's a, a bigger community that we're creating, and that's that's really cool. That's pretty. That's pretty good to hear. Well, guys, I wanted to just thank you again for taking the time. I know it's it's tricky, probably getting all three of you on the phone at the same time and and taking time away. So, totally appreciate it. Uh, and uh, thanks. We can conclude the phone call by ringing our sales gong because we had a, a sale while we were on the phone with you. Hold on, let me get it. Great interview. Thank you, Don. Oh, thanks. So you guys, um, every, anytime, uh, an order, is this just an order on the phone or online? You, just, you, you ring a gong, huh? We, we ring the gong for any type of... Uh, for any type of sale, but this one came through one of our online channels. Oh, cool. Um, we're just looking for our mallet. <laughs> well, I'm not getting it off until you, you ring that gong, so. Okay. We'll be ringing it without the mallet. All right. Boom, I can hear it here in Park Slope. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you guys. This has been great. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. All right. Thanks, Don. Yeah. Bye. See ya. Bye. Well, that's our show, our very first show uh, for this week. Pretty good start. Uh, my thanks to Rich Brilliant Willing for being our first guest. Thanks, Theo, Charles, and Alex. You couldn't have asked for a better start. You can see all of their great work at richbrilliantwilling.com and follow them on Twitter at rbw underscore studio. Underscores that little line that's not really a hyphen. It's underneath. You know what underscores. Anyway, go buy some of the work. It's, uh, it's really nice stuff. You can follow me and the After School Podcast on Twitter at After School. You can follow Core 77 on Twitter at Core 77. Uh, we're still setting up our iTunes links, but in a week or two, you should be able to search for us on the iTunes store, and you would just search Core 77 or After School. That should bring you right here. Uh, also on Core 77, we include show notes. So a lot of the stuff that you heard us talking about with rbw that's all linked to after school's theme song is by disco lobos talk to you soon don't you forget